Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanising workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. Hey there, it's Mark LaBusque for the Simply Practically Human podcast and today's episode is all about the concept of expectations and um, you know whether they can be an advantage to you to have them or whether or not they can work to your detriment, um, how you look at self-expectations versus your expectations you have of others and perhaps at times pushing your own expectations of how people should be and maybe that's just like you. So my guest today is uh, all the way from uh, Hong Kong and he's the founder of EQ Lab, uh, Oscar Venhouse. And uh, I met Oscar about 15 months ago through the group that he curated with uh, Richard Clayton called Drinking Dialogues, which I've mentioned several times before on this uh, on this podcast. And um, what they did in a time when we lost our connection through face-to-face is they created this uh, amazing forum where each week we get on and it's a bit like, as they say, grabbing a coffee or grabbing a beer at the bar and you uh, go on and there's a topic that we talk about that we don't try to uh, come up with the uh, solutions to, but we just get to meet some amazing people from around the world. And Oscar will talk a little later in the episode about how he and Richard are taking what they've learned from drinking dialogues and turn into what I think is going to be an exciting learning platform. Oscar will talk a bit about how, uh, you know, his expectations of what Drinking Dialogues was about have changed significantly since it first started some 15 months ago, which uh, I found quite fascinating. Shares a bit of his backstory. He's had a very unique uh, upbringing, born in Seoul and um, growing up in the Netherlands, but he'll go into a bit more detail about his corporate life and his early days as a um, as a designer. Share a little bit about his time at university, uh, studying at one of the most eminent sort of uh, design and art universities, but only lasting there for a year because he got kicked out, which uh, I found quite quite surprising because he comes across to me as a guy that uh, wouldn't be um, getting kicked out of university, but that was perhaps a bias that I'd started to think about him. Oscar's going to delve today into his own um, morphing, as um, I mentioned it, into how he stopped really getting too hung up on expectations and and looking at expectations from a more positive perspective, expectations of self, expectations of others, and then maybe how we can be influenced on around our expectations by family, by our environment, by the community that we're in. And so he'll sort of delve into those things a bit. He'll talk about it a little bit about why expectations are like exercise, plus give us three really simple and practical tips. And I thought they were amazing on how you can make expectations work for the benefit rather than be some sort of inhibitor to you making progress or, as he calls it, getting better, even though that's a subjective uh, topic. He'll also share some of his thoughts around simplicity versus complexity or the complicated and uh, come up with some very similar thoughts from what I've heard from other uh, other podcast guests over time. So, again, sit back, have a listen, take some notes. He does say at the end he wasn't too sure that uh, it made sense. I, uh, I'm not sure if... It was about making sense. My expectations weren't that I would absolutely understand everything that was going on because 
we come from different backgrounds, we come from different worlds, we bring some unique parts to ourselves, and I think that's why these uh, these podcasts and these sorts of episodes work well. So enjoy, and I'll catch you at the end. I'm delighted to be joined today from Hong Kong by the founder of EQ Lab, Oscar Venhouse. Oscar, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me, Mark. Mate, um, I don't know what happened then. I'm going to let people know that I had a bit of a meltdown with technology and you've almost been able to walk me through it step by step, so I, I do appreciate that. My expectations when I got on here today were not that you would have to sort out my technological issues, but you've, uh, you've done some great things. Where we're going to go today on this episode, and I, I do want to say that watching and meeting you some time ago and watching you over that sort of 15 to 18 months, I've noticed some shifts in you, and we're going to get into this today, um, and particularly around this idea of expectations. But before we jump into that, though, just give us a little bit about how we connected, what you can remember about how we first connected, and perhaps some, some of your first impressions, mate. Um, I remember you joining our, one of our first virtual dialogues and I remember that session. Because, and the reason why I remember it because I think you were in a sort of heated debate with someone else. <laughs> you were the only guy that was kind of a little bit more contrarian than the rest of the, of the group, I would say. So I, I actually recall that session quite well. I actually think I remember that. I think that you might have used words very similar to that line of, I think there's a big disagreement going on here. And I, I, I was I was funny at the time because I thought, I'm not sure if I'm disagreeing or I have just have a different perspective. But we met on Drinking Dialogues, which has been an amazing platform that yourself and, and uh, Richard Clayton set up some time back. And I think you've got over 120-odd now, where people from all around the world come together in, in a format that's really designed for us to have some really open conversations, no solutions, and and which has helped me to set up what I call my Zoom room provocation, but I really do appreciate the work that you two do because it's given me some amazing connections all around the world. So just let's talk about that for a minute to start with. Your expectations, because this is the topic today, your expectations when you created this thing called Drinking Dialogues and what it's become, is it exactly what you thought it would be? Oh, no, completely different. It really is very different. In fact, um, yeah, in all fairness, it was COVID, COVID-19. And so with Richard at the time, we were running fiscal uh, workshops. And of course, that was all kind of halted and we had to stop that. So overnight, within, let's say, uh, a few weeks, we thought, okay, well, I'm quite familiar with Zoom. I had done some breakout sessions before. And so we tried it online. So in fact, there were no expectations at that point apart from, well, there's nothing to lose, right? So we're going to be locked up for just a few weeks, but <laughs> it takes a little, took a little bit longer. Yeah, so that that's actually a good example of the expectation I have now is very different than, let's say, one and a half year or a year ago. How would you describe that, Oscar? What's different in the expectations now, if you could share, than what they may have been when you know, we're way back at uh, session number one? When we started, I wasn't really thinking about this particular business model that we have in mind. That has really sort of emerged and evolved over the last few months. So that, that is really different. I think the, the first step was really to, to see whether we could actually do this virtual session. Because I think people are still extremely reluctant to go online, which is a virtual calls. Because the experience is just so terrible. I'm not talking about expectations that the expectation of having a 
virtual call, but people actually are engaged and have a have a dialogue is just really foreign for people. They just don't want to believe that's even possible. And so the reluctance is extremely high when I talk to other people, say, well, I explain, you've been to many sessions and I had to explain what we do. And in, in principle, it's really simple. And people think, oh, is that it? Yes, well, that's basically it. We have a dialogue and it's really engaging and the two hours really and the fly by. Two hours, oh, that's really long, right? And you go into this sort of rabbit hole. Everyone will say the exact same thing. Two hours is too long. Virtual, I'll think about it. So the people have some expectations when you talk about virtual dialogues. They do indeed. And I guess, you know, you put virtual then with two hours and... I guess using a um, a channel that people aren't usually or haven't been used to using until the next last fifteen months or so. I guess it creates a whole lot of people having expectations, but then maybe feeling like their expectations haven't been met because it's too long or whatever. I know from my own experience on it that two hours seems to take about forty five minutes. I reckon that's what it feels like to me. It's it's but no sooner have we started, and usually it's either eight thirty p.m for me in Australia or 9.30 p.m. as a start time, but that time goes very, very quickly. And I think you've been able to create something that obviously it's meeting expectations because a lot, lots of people keep coming back. I think there was 46 or so people on the call from all around the world just, just this Tuesday. So there's obviously something that's working. Let's dig back a bit into your past though first. One of the things that I'm a big fan of is to help the listeners connect with you, the human being before we sort of get into this topic of expectations. So I know you've got a really interesting background because you've shared it a few times in the um, in Drinking Dialogue. So would you mind just maybe sharing a little bit about your background and sort of how you've got to this point where this thing on expectations has become a, a topic for you? Uh, my lo- life story in a minute, you mean? Um, uh, <laughs> I'll give you two minutes, mate. Give us two. Well, so I was born in Seoul, South Korea, uh, raised in Holland. Uh, I studied there as well. I studied in the UK and then currently live in Hong Kong and have worked all over the place, uh, including China. And my formal training is actually in in design and arts. So I studied at the uh, Royal College of Arts, the RCA. Um, I think it's number one for creativity on the planet. But I got kicked out after one year. That's a different story. And then basically went from design to product development to supply chain. That's basically a career of 15 plus years. Also one of the reasons why I ended up here in Asia. I teach UX, user experience design at the General Assembly. And I love to solve problems through business design. So business design, I'll try to explain it in one sentence. is It's sort of interdisciplinary area that looks at uh, organizational design, innovation methods, and business strategies. So it operates in the the white space between those three domains. And then, uh, yeah, what I'm currently doing is actually I'm raising uh, seed funding for the new startup, uh, EQ Lab. Um, That's basically an accelerator to think smarter and faster. And that's where you've got together with Richard. Is that in that sort of space there or...? Correct. Yeah, okay. So we won't go into your other story about why you got kicked out after a year. I think we'll, we'll save that for – I want to find out about that before I make you disclose that on uh, on a podcast going out to people. My sense is, as you were talking, you've had a – it's not been really the straight pathway to something. You've 
sounds like your creativity jumps in at different times and and you've sort of gone down a bit of a, you know, not not the traditional path. Did you spend time in in the corporate space as well? Yes, actually, that's the first part, right? Well, 15 years. So my first job was actually for O'Neill on the surf brand. Yep. That was a great job to have, by the way, for first job. So a lot of water sports, snowboarding, uh, everything that that you basically just like to do. And I did that from profession. So my first few jobs were actually in the sports retail brand business, right? From Nike, Adidas, uh, O'Neill. So that's actually my background. So my background is, is in design and specifically in, in, in product development of those products. So talk a bit about then, if we think about that version of Oscar, younger Oscar, who was in that space there for 15 odd years and Oscar today and overlay that with expectations. Because one of the things I'm going to say, my observation and experience with you in the last 12 to 15 months is and, I, and I, I hope you take this with the intention that it's going to be delivered <laughs> as he sort of looks at me a little bit like, what the hell are you going to say, Mark? I've noticed a, a morphing of you into someone who talks more about, I, I had a sense early on that, you know, you were sort of like a bit of a, not a corporate warrior, but you were very driven. And I'm not, I'm not sure that that's not the case, but you sort of came up with this thing not long back about, I've got a bit of a different idea on expectations now, expectations of myself and of people that work with me or for me, what's changed with that Oscar from 15 years ago, if anything, to what what I've experienced in the last 15 months? Yeah, good question, right? I think it, a lot has changed, like, not just for me, I guess, for the whole planet. Yeah. But in terms of expectations is, I guess, I have expectations like everyone else. It's like I, I'm biased like anyone else. But it's more that, I'm more aware of the expectations of what it can do. So it, it, it can motivate you, but can also work against you if, you if you don't watch out. And that I think has changed over the last few years, especially with expectations from other people or that I have when I meet or when I work with people. And there is a really fine line, right? Because you automatically do have expectations. So I, I, I'm not saying I don't have them. But I'm, I'm probably more self-aware of that, of what to expect or not to expect. Interesting looking at a quote from Bruce Lee who says that I'm not in this world to live up to your expectations and you're not in this world to live up to mine. Now, interestingly with what you said, I have expectations. Like I have expectations that my technology is going to work and it didn't today so we had to fix that up there i guess there's those technical expectations and then there's those behavioral ones and our you know our biases and all of these things that come in just want to just delve a bit more deeply into the idea of expectations before we get you to share some of your wisdom around what it's done for you to maybe become more aware of how expectations can motivate or how they can actually work against people why do you think humans place such high expectations on themselves. So let's start with self before we go to others here. Well, why do we do that? I think it's kind of natural. I mean, there's a lot of external factors, right? I can only speak from a personal experience, but you have peers, you have friends, you have parents, things in the media, so the, the, the environment and so on. So you have a whole bunch of external factors that probably influence you in terms of expectations. 
And then I've, I would say you have implicit expectations of what you're trying to achieve with your life or it goes towards, okay, what's the purpose of life? But um, let's stick to the expectation part. But that I think it's natural to have them, right? Because I think, at least for me, you want to become better. Um, what that better is, of course, is very subjective, right? So it's not necessarily fast or, or smarter necessarily, but just better person and i think that that's quite normal but then of course there are different levels of how high do you want to aim right or what's possible with the capacities that you have what do you think the trap is then like you've just sort of started to hit on a a point i wanted to explore a little bit i come across a lot of people that i coach who set extremely high expectations of themselves and consequently don't meet them. They may get 95% of the way there, but they focus on the the 5% that I didn't achieve or, you know, what you said before, what is better? Well, what, what's the trap for people who set too higher expectations for themselves? So I don't think it is a bad thing to set really high expectations for yourself. But as long as you realise that there is a, a probability and uh, depending on what you expect, right? Uh, just, so you have realistic and unrealistic expectations. If you say, hey, I want to become a millionaire tomorrow and you only have $10 in your pocket, I think that's fairly unrealistic. If you have 900K in your bank accounts, it's probably possible to make a 100K extra, right? Within a month, I mean, miraculously. These are the two extremes in terms of what's realistic and what's unrealistic. And I have high expectations, but simultaneously, I also know that it may work out completely different. So I think where the trick is, at least for me, is that you, for me, I embrace that sort of, if it works out completely different than I expected, that is fine as well. So maybe where some people struggle is that they really they think very linear, right? If, if that's the only way of doing things, and I guess you know this as well, uh, things always work out slightly different than, than you expect because no one knows what, what your future holds, right? Unless you do something, let's give an example. For example, if I make a, a cup of coffee, I know I have the expectation that it gives me a little boost, right? Because the caffeine. Yeah. So I think it's reasonable to believe that if I make a cup of coffee, I get this caffeine hit. But I think that's a, a realistic expectation it would be unrealistic to think that if i just think about coffee it also i get this boost because if i just only think about this you know, like this magical thinking in fact without actually making a cup of coffee and not doing the work then that would be unrealistic yep i, I get where you're coming from this idea of i like this idea of i was expecting it to go this way but as we got into the work or whatever it might have been, it actually went on a, in a different trajectory, different pathway, whatever we want to call it. But uh, I had the awareness to realise that that was still useful. So I didn't have to go on this linear pathway, which I'm going to um, say now towards perfection because I think there's some sort of relationship here with high expectations and then we, we overlay that with this thing called perfectionism. I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on... What's the relationship between really high expectations and that linear piece and and the perfect outcome? Why do some humans get caught up in the pursuit of perfectionism when it's 
I don't know. I, I'm, I've yet to master it. I'm not quite sure about you, but uh, what do you think? Well, I think we, we maybe have a, a similar sort of uh, trait. I don't think I'm a perfectionist. So you're probably asking the, the, the wrong question or the, the, maybe the right question to the wrong person. I do have high expectations, but not in the sense of I'm a perfectionist. I would say I'm almost the opposite, where I don't really mind. And for some people, this bothers, uh, this can be, you know, also work against them, where they feel, okay, Oscar is not doing his best. Uh, where I think, okay, I think this is pretty good, right? And not, someone else said, well, we can do better. So, yeah, of course, we can always do better, but okay, what's the point? So I'm almost the opposite of being a perfectionist. But then other things I would, in terms of design, I could just tinker with design, just it's never ending, yeah. right? Like if I design something and same with art, you start with something in mind. So you have this image in your in your mind and you try to recreate that, right, in a physical environment. And to be honest, that's it's never going to be 100%. It's not going to be a copy and paste from your brain to the physical environment. I think... This is also really difficult. And some people are better at that, no? Just of all kinds of different creative people, no? whether it's business or uh, songwriters or video. So you start with a concept that's really abstract in your head. And then you start creating it. And for some people, that's not exactly what they expect. And they can't get their head around it. And, and that basically, that's where I think most creative people really struggle with. Everyone else looks at it, this is really great. But in your mind, it's just not what you imagined. So just on that, so again, there's this, I'm looking at another quote here by a guy by the name of Carl Phillips, where he talks about if we learn to let go of our expectations a little, just a little, not to let go of them totally, um, we are much less likely to put ourselves and others under too much pressure to be perfect. He goes on to say, we're much less likely to feel disappointed when others don't act how we expect them or how we would like them to, or perhaps even how we would have expected something to show up or turn out for us. Interestingly, you've talked a little bit about, I have expectations, but I've learned to become more aware of the benefits of expectations and then maybe some of the pitfalls of expectations. Let's say the younger Oscar, and younger Oscar's been put in charge of a, a team. Let's sort of push down the pathway of the workplace now. Younger Oscar's just been put in charge of a team and not only does he have expectations of himself to be able to be successful, but he's feeling the pressure and the expectations of others. What sort of advice would you give to managers who feel that pressure and really are putting that level of expectation on themselves that maybe is working to their detriment, not positively but negatively? What would you say that they should be thinking about because you've said you've built more awareness around this now what do you reckon yeah good question uh, i think it's to me more of an attitude so again i think for a lot of people including myself that i have expectations but this just also comes with okay also thinking about that that may not just work out the way i think it will work out uh, in business there are a lot of expectations in terms of uh, objectives, KPIs, and certain metrics that people uh, use. And I think that, I guess the reason why we have that is to make progress. And for some people, I get really obsessed by a particular number. 
if they miss it by a few percent, they feel they failed. Well, they actually actually have really progressed quite a bit. Just the fact that they just didn't reach that maybe one or two percent, they kind of overlook that. So, yeah, I'm I'm quite sort of flexible in terms of I look at more of the bigger picture, how people perform. Is is their progress? You know, I've done a lot of workshops. Uh, digital marketing workshops and people always ask me what is the benchmark for open rates or for a click-through rate or whatever in marketing and I said well you can look it up on Google but that's a very generic number right and the best way of looking at performance is you start with a number and then you, you measure that number and you do that every week, right? Uh, looking at industry numbers is completely irrelevant because it may work for a different company, but not necessarily for yourself. And, and you need to have a long-term view. So anyone in SEO, for example, knows that some weeks your website has low traffic and other days it has higher. So you look over longer periods. As long as it's, it goes up over, let's say, a few months and not every check it every hour, it's fine. Now then you can have some dips. It just you know, fluctuates. It's it's interesting, Oscar. You've talked about two things there that almost are counterintuitive to the way that we've been taught to behave and operate in the corporate world. So it may or may not work out to one hundred percent, but that's okay. Mm. Don't necessarily hear that a lot, or didn't hear that a lot, or didn't allow others to say that a lot when I was back in that space. The second one that's really fascinating for me is taking a long term view because. You know, there's a number and when you want to see a trend. The trend is going upwards over a long time. But what about those moments when in two weeks the trend isn't going where it needs to go? What happens in that particular situation to human beings when it's like, oh, shit, the last two weeks have been trending the other way? What do we tend then to do about expectations in, in your humble opinion? Well, I mean, of course, so I have my, my personal moments where, where things don't work, right? Especially building businesses. And that happens, right? And I compare with, with exercise. Now, if you train for, let's say you train for to run a 10K or a marathon, there will be months uh, you get an injury mm-hmm. or you fall behind or you just feel not good, right, to run. Um, you can't always be at peak performance, but you still have that sort of finish line in your head. So it, that's the way I kind of, that's how I look at things as well. And sometimes things take just time to build, no? to achieve certain things really. It's not instant. It's not immediate. And I think a lot of people feel that you know, everything is immediate and it needs to be instant. So I have a slightly different view where I probably do a lot of stuff on the background that people have no clue about what I actually do. And I also don't need to advertise it. I'm actually not so active on uh, on social, to be honest. A little bit on LinkedIn, but even the last few weeks, I've been very low-key on that. So, yeah, I think it's kind of going back to the expectation part is that I'm not working for someone else. No, I do because I innately, I believe that I'm doing the right thing. No? So if someone tells me something, I'll, of course, I'll listen to feedback and, and comments and recommendations. But maybe because I'm super stubborn that I, at least in my head, I know what I try to achieve. Yeah. And I have a very clear goal. Whether I achieve it or not, uh, I don't know yet. 
but I don't really get distracted by the expectations that other people have. You've got me thinking about a question without notice, but I know that you'll smash this one out of the park. We can have high expectations of ourselves. Let's just say I'm a manager and I've got high expectations of myself, my performance becoming better, whatever it might be. If I have that mindset of that really high expectations, can I then coexist with having lower expectations of the people that are working for me? Well, you can have high expectations of yourself, but it would be unfair to expect that from other people. That, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense because each individual is just different. For example, if I were to like serving, for example, not everyone likes it, right? So I can't expect that everyone likes serving. Some people prefer skateboarding or roller skating or whatever, sitting on a sofa. So, And I think I see that a lot where people project their own expectations on other people. And and the, their logic is that they probably do something that you just only think of. It's basically implicitly you think of something and you don't make it explicit. So what I mean by that is a lot of people think about certain expectations, but they don't actually verbalize it. Yeah. So if you don't express what you expect and you make that really clear what the expectation is, how can you expect that someone is will understand you? Um, and even then, of course, if you express it and you make it very explicit, it doesn't mean that some people are going to do it, right? Because it's still just an expectation that you have. If I ask you, Mark, can you make me a coffee? That's very explicit. But you think, no, Oscar, I'm not going to do that. So, <laughs> so why, why, would I, why would I think that you would do it for me, right? Yep. It's that expectation that I have that you will do that for me. But why would you do that for me? There's some, there's some interesting parts that come out of this too around new teams forming, new teams building, manager-employee relationship. There's the, the, the old way has always been that as an employee and my manager, my direct uh, line manager above me, I'm trying to work out what they're expecting of me and I'm trying to work out the best way to deliver that for them. And a lot of times we actually don't have the conversation. I have a bit of a view that managers and, and more human managers need to start to ask the people what they're expecting of them as a manager before they start to get into the, you know, the tin tacks of KPIs and whips and all of those sorts of things. Well, what are your thoughts around that, around perhaps managers starting to spend more time understanding what the people are expecting of them rather than this old way of them trying to work out what the manager expects? To me, in terms of expectation, there's the two parts, right? So I would say that a lot of people, I think, that would struggle with certain expectations is that because they're uncertain about themselves, right? So they look at other people, what they think they should do, which is not necessarily completely unhealthy, but it can also be very dangerous, right? That you always try to have confirmation for your friends or peers or teammates, and then there needs to be a healthy balance. You know? And of course, there is, again, talking about this um, expectation of a team, you know, if you, let's say, play sports or in a business environment, yeah, then you need to make it very explicit. And other, if it's an unspoken expectation, and uh, that's always very dangerous. Yeah. And even then, if you do say, hey, this is the goal, you, know? uh, you basically set a goal, let's say a monthly goal for a team, why do you set it, right? So the, the, I think the, the idea behind it is that 
you develop as a team, as a person, as an individual. So what is more important that you make progress or that you exactly meet that particular milestone? And I think that will be a healthy discussion to have. Let's say you would, again, miss a a few points or a few percentage. Is that really a disaster? Yeah, well, I don't think it is, but I don't think that's always the way we've seen it happen in work. We tend to focus on the 2% that we don't get rather than the 98% that we've delivered. Just, Just finally... Picking up on something you said before, and I think this is the curse of of a system we've grown up in, which is based on our technical competence, and and we end up putting people in charge of human beings, but they've got there because they're technically good, and then we get this idea that we expect that everyone will be just like us. But you know what, Oscar, you're in my team now, and they're in sales with me, and I'm brilliant at sales. I'm a brilliant negotiator. I'm brilliant at closing the deal and keeping a pipeline. If you were just like me you will be brilliant as well. So I'm almost forcing an expectation on you to be me. Even if I'm really open about that, if you're just like me, Oscar, I expect you to be like me. What's the danger for a manager to be projecting their greatness onto others? Well, I would say uh, disappointment. (laughs) 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 Um, I think naturally you're attracted to people that are similar to you, right? In terms of thinking whether we like it or, or not. And I do the same thing. And in fact, so and a friend pointed out the other day uh, who actually said to me, Oscar, your network, you have a lot of white guys in your network. No, I was an Asian friend. <laughs> so he basically you have a lot of Caucasian people in your network. So yeah, and it's maybe because I was raised in Europe, probably because of that. And it's very subconsciously, I do this. It's not that I... In fact, I've been looking through my network, how many female founders do I know? And that's just really, a really small, small, small group. So I'm really aware of it. But then, of course, I only realize it when I look back at it and when I reflect on it. But subconsciously, I still seem to meet more guys than girls. Mm. Which maybe comes back to what you said before is building that awareness so so you only sort of capture it when you look back on it rather than when you're in the in the middle of it and you're sort of going to wherever you usually go to that's interesting i want to ask you about simplicity and complexity and i i i'm going to be fascinated from you because i have a view and maybe sometimes i'm thinking i'm, I'm learning from richard at times but sometimes i'm thinking that maybe my view of the world is just too simple that if we just we're more human and we did certain things and everything would be right and we try and make things complicated or complex. We try and put complexity into stuff. What's your views around if you have a view that we try and over make things overly complex or, um, as Ray Jumay pointed out to me, maybe overly complicated when a lot of times there are some simple answers, simple things we could do that we, we look past in favour of complexity. What are your thoughts around that? I'm not, I'm not sure if, if people are attracted to complexity or complex environments. I think the world is just a really complex place, right? So I would say the, the logical explanation I have why we want to simplify things is that it saves energy, right? So to think about really complex things just takes a lot of energy. And I guess we want to save energy or want to be lazy in a good way. But I would also think there is a difference between, I mean, simple does not mean it's easy. And in fact, it takes a lot of energy to simplify. 
and especially in design, people typically mix it up, right? That simple is easy. It's maybe easy to use. That's the objective. But actually the process of simplifying is actually very complex because you, you need to really understand quite a few different domains. So, yeah, I think it's just natural. And I think people that really understand the subjects, I would always ask them, can you explain it to kids? Right? right? So if you really understand the subject, um, I think those people that understand that can also explain it to kids. Yeah. And um, yeah, certain things are complex and, and some people can do this better in written statements or through music or how do you express that complexity, right? Or complex environment. Uh, and there are different ways of doing that. Uh, for example, I would struggle to write things down. And, and why is that? Why do you struggle to write things down? I don't know. I'm just a super slow writer in the first place and a reader. Visually, it probably would be easier for me to express really complex problems. And why that is, I don't know. I guess that's probably how my brain works. Some people can write it down way better. Some people can articulate it verbally, verbalize it way better. So everyone has different skill sets. Which means we should maybe, before we start to create expectations for people to be like us or to be a certain way, we should take those things into account around, like, you know, Oscar works better this way. So maybe my expectations around what he'll deliver up and the way he delivers it up and the quality of it shouldn't be based upon what I say is that these are the general rules of how Oscar should be because Oscar's a bit different. I always like to think that we could do a lot better if we looked at the uniqueness of the way that people learn and also the way that they get creative and that they deliver things up. So I think that's good. I like the idea that simple's not always easy. It's hard to do as well. I always think at times that's why sometimes we go to the complex because perhaps we think that's harder or maybe it's just harder to do the simple stuff. Hey, um, I wanted to finish up with I wanted you to talk a bit about this EQ lab and, and because as you said earlier the, the model and the business model that you're running with and, and COVID turned up and we're, we're still in in it talk a bit about what you are doing in that space because there's some pretty exciting learning type stuff that you're doing that, that I think the listeners would be keen to hear about. Yeah so the way we started EQ lab was so when I met Richard so Richard Clayton he was trying to explain me a, a problem and it really took me a while actually to understand what the problem was. And that's why maybe because of my stubbornness, I thought, well, I don't get it. So I'll just keep talking with him. And after a while, I kind of understood his research and leave the basics and the fundamentals. So one thing that I've noticed is if we were to change, so you have a lot of coaching, a lot of in-person workshops, and they, they are really good, right? But I think the one of the biggest issues is that they don't really have a sustained impact. That's actually not the fault of the instructor or the coach itself. But I've been looking at what, if we want to change the discourse of organizations, we want to have real organizational change. If we were to only target C-level or maybe D-level, that's probably not enough, right? So if you talk about large organizations with thousands of people. So the problem for me was solving that problem of scale. So how do we change organizations at scale and at speed? So this is what we've been looking at at EQ Lab. So I've been looking at traditional conventional workshops and how can we solve that problem? Uh, and 
part of that is actually that automation of uh, drinking dialogues. Yeah. So yeah. we are basically building a hybrid model of virtual learning that is actually live. So that's based on hybrid model. I believe that through that subscription model, like if you look at the gym model, the great thing about the gym model is that if you only do workshop sprint for one week, of course, you cannot run that marathon, right? And the same with cognition. You need to keep training that. You need to stimulate this. You need to do it as much as you can. Also, you need to rest. But you need to work on this continuously. And I think one of the challenges of most workshops is that they are not sustainable because they're just not long enough yeah. in terms of behavioral change. So what we are working on is introducing a subscription model for cognition, right? a mental gym that really is designed for sustained change. Because I think behavioral change is really, really tough, not even for myself. Even if I believe I can think that it's the certain things are good or bad, but let's say I like to have a beer, right? I know that's not healthy, right? I just know that. that, that it, depends I can on how many, it depends on how many beers you have, Oscar. <laughs> yeah. But I still have this sort of good feeling when I drink it, hmm. right? So that's basically before you really change that, really takes time. That's not going to happen overnight. So, yeah, that's basically in a sort of nutshell. We're creating this mental gym. I like this idea that it's, again, you talked about this before. It's looking at things over a longer period of time rather than, you know, the two-day, let's do a two-day off-site workshop and then we'll all go back and we'll start to absorb some of the learning and we'll, we'll do it. But what we, I think what the research says is that we lose that stuff pretty quickly. So this idea of being able to do it in a way so it's over a longer period of time is a great thing to do. So where would people find out more about this? Where would they go to have these conversations? Where can they track you down? Well, they can uh, check out the website. It's eqlab.co. That's a good starting point. Uh, or people can just Google my name, Oscar Venhuis. Things will pop up. I haven't Googled myself for a while, so I don't know what's, uh, what will appear. There might be a picture of you drinking a beer there, mate, perhaps. Who knows? <laughs> hey, um, Oscar, thanks for coming on. I think this is an interesting topic and I think you've taken me to some places I didn't expect us to go to today, So, but you've still met my expectations. So um, I say thank you very much, mate. Thanks for coming on and thanks for helping me with uh, some technology issues before we started. Yeah, thanks, sir, Mike, for inviting me. Really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed some of Oscar's um Stories as I did, I, I really do like it how he will explain something and then he will relate it to a, a personal story, his story about drinking beer and that he likes to drink beer and uh, maybe it's not as good for him as uh, he'd like to think it is, but uh, I thought that was quite a, a nice way to round out uh, our podcast episode today. Don't think in a linear way. I think one of the uh, things I learned from him today is we, we're so linear in what we think uh, about expectations, particularly when we get transfixed on numbers KPIs, whatever it might be, and and that can really create some harm and some damage to us if we just think it's always got to be going on the up, which led him into one of his other points, which I think was really valuable today, which was this idea we need to take a long-term view, that uh, in fact there are going to be some ups and downs with our expectations, just like there are ups and downs with things that we measure, the, the, the way that we measure things. So taking a longer-term view rather than 
very, very short-term views. And I know that can be challenging in a um, in a world where it's all about doing things quickly and getting the low-hanging fruit and, you know, hitting those targets week in, week out. The other one that I really have picked up with Oscar in these last 15 months or so of getting to know him is that there has been a morphing, I think, in some of his attitude. And I love that point that he made about it's about your attitude. It may work out. It may not work out to 100%. But does that really matter? Like, you know, if you're 98% of the way there um, and you missed by 2%, have you in some way not met your expectations? And how does that start to impact on how you feel about those sorts of things? So I think that he made a really good point there. His analogy with it being like exercise and, you know, we might be trying to run 10Ks or whatever, but over time we might get injured and we'll fall behind a bit, but we'll pick it up again and we'll, we'll move on from there. How peers and friends and parents, the media, your environment, these sorts of things can really have an impact on how you see yourself and, and how you look at those expectations. I think another point that he made which really resonated with me, this idea that it's never going to be 100% and this idea that if we're chasing perfectionism that we will not meet the expectations that we've set ourselves is something that we all should think about just as we should think about as we talked at one particular point in time, is not expecting that everyone else will be like you. And it is a trap that we fall into, that we may have been successful getting to a certain place, and then we start to push our expectations on others. And then finally, the idea that let's just switch the old model around, that it's not about the team member trying to understand what the expectations are of the boss But what about if the boss or the manager started to ask that question, which is, what do you expect of me? What we'll tend to find is it won't be too much based around your technical proficiency, but more about how you turn up as a human being. Hey, if you like this episode, why not share it with your friends? And if you loved it, rate it five stars. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now. Bye for now.